Hey, thanks for tuning in to Acts 23, a verse-by-verse study through the book of Acts. This week, we'll hear a message from Pastor Andy Bowles. Enter ye in at the straight gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction, and many there be which go in thereat. Matthew chapter 7, verse 13. This is the Sermon on the Mount, and Jesus is reminding us that we have a choice as we live in this world that there is light in the world and light has come to reveal in our darkness all of our sin. And because light does not just reveal our sin, it also reveals unto us the Savior, gives us the opportunity to turn away from our sin and choose to follow the Savior, Jesus. We know that The road that is oftentimes chosen is not the road that is narrow and straight. A narrow road is sometimes difficult to navigate. But the road that is chosen is a very broad, big road. And it says in Jesus' own words, if, if you were to ask somebody who would have infinite knowledge on who is saved and who is lost, who ultimately is going to be in heaven and who ultimately is going to be in hell, don't you know that Jesus would have the answer? Right? Jesus would know. If anybody would know, Jesus would know. And so he says, wide is the gate. Broad is the way. It leads to destruction, and many there be which go therein at. It's, it's the idea that there is a culture that we have to be a part of that in most situations outnumbers the culture that is created within a faith family. There is a culture that is out there that you live in. You work in, you go to school in it, you have hobbies in it, you have to go to market in it and buy your supplies in it. It is the world, it is a culture that is on a broad road with a wide gate and it is leading to destruction and there are a lot of people on that. Why is it so, so hard for Christians to live like a Christian in the world? It's because of this culture that is, we're saturated with, that is constantly around us, that is always nagging for our attention, that it throws the bait out there. And the fact of the matter is, oftentimes, we're found weak and willing to take the bait, and it's out there, and it's difficult to live in that culture and not, at least sometime or another, indulge in that culture. But what are we called to? It's the title of tonight's message. Actually, it's the title of tonight's message and next Wednesday's message, Confronting Culture. Do you know just in the definition of who you are as a follower of Jesus, 
Just in the definition of what your lifestyle is supposed to be, if you said yes to Jesus, you said yes to Jesus, not just to save you from your sin, but you said yes to Jesus to allow you to follow him and live a godly life that is representative of the Bible, the word of God through your existence. That in itself just the admission, just the claim, just the the name that you bear is already a confrontation to the culture. Guys, we, we live in a very confused world that doesn't know up from down, in and out, boy from girl. It just is what it is. And so... We, as we live out these godly principles, are obviously going to be confronting culture. But the question is, not are you hit and miss, attempting to do organically what you need to do intentionally, are you intentionally confronting the culture around you? I'm not saying, are you attempting to be the the oddball in the group? That's not the objective. That's not the desired result for everybody to look at you and say, well, you sure are weird. You don't have to be Christian to be called weird. You can be weird all on your own without the help of Jesus, right? Is this what we're talking about? But we're talking about living in this lifestyle that others recognize. It reveals something of lack inside of them. It confronts their thought processes. It confronts the way they speak. It confronts how they have relationships. It confronts how they spend money. It confronts what they do on social media. It confronts every aspect of their living and it's done intentionally on your behalf so that they might get a taste of who Jesus is, not who you are, and desire Jesus and follow him. To confront culture. We're in Acts chapter 17. We're going to look at the first 21 verses of Acts chapter 17. I'll give you just a minute to find it in your Bible. If you've got a Bible with you, if not, the verses will be on the screen and you can read along with me on those verses that are on the screen. What we're talking about tonight in confronting culture is a lifestyle of missions. Living intentionally for the purpose of seeing lost people saved and saved people strengthened. That is the goal. That is the mission. Did did you know that that's what Jesus said to do right before he disappeared into heaven? He said, go you therefore. Matthew chapter 28, verse verse 19 to 20. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. You shall be empowered by the Holy Spirit. He's going to be a witness through you unto all the parts of the world. Mark chapter 16, verse 15 and 16. All of this, Jesus is saying, this is what you're supposed to do. Isn't it crazy how oftentimes we get so distracted with everything else, we forget this is what we're supposed to do. This is just what we're supposed to do. So, Acts chapter 17. Man, I'm excited tonight. Are y'all excited? (laughs) Verse 1. Here we go. I'm so excited I get to pronounce these words. I'm going to go back to my notes so that I can try my best to pronounce them correctly. Now, when they had passed through Amphipolis. Polis. Polis. I'm looking at my wife. She taught me these words. I'm trying to make sure yes or no. 
And she gave me a shoulder shrug. Okay. And another try. Apollonia. I got a thumbs up. Yes. And <laughs> they came to Thessalonica. Got that one. Uh, where was the, the synagogue of the Jews? And Paul, as his manner was, went unto them and three Sabbath days, three weeks, reasoned with them out of the scriptures, opening and alleging that Christ must needs have suffered and risen again from the dead, and that this Jesus whom I preach unto you is Christ. And some of them believed and consorted with Paul and Silas. You remember in chapter 16, I wasn't here the past two weeks. I know Greg did a great job preaching those messages. There was a division before that about who would go where in chapter 15. Paul takes Silas, Barnabas, and John Mark disappear off the scenes. Timothy's been added to this group, so there's basically these three guys uh, going together. And uh, devout Greeks and a great multitude and of the chief women, not a few. Don't you love that King James uh, translation? It's word for word, so it reads kind of double-jointed at times. He's saying, there's a lot of chief women that joined too. But the Jews which believed not, moved with envy, took unto them certain lewd fellows. Man, they was, they was thugs is what he's talking about. Took these thugs of a baser sort. I mean, at the bottom of the barrel, you couldn't get any worse. And gathered a company and set all the city on an uproar and assaulted the house of Jason and sought to bring them out to the people. And when they had found them not, they drew Jason and a certain brethren unto the rulers of the city, crying. This is the testimony of what happens when culture is confronted with a gospel. These that have turned the world upside down or come hither also, whom Jason hath received, and that's the reason that he's in trouble, is he was housing this gnarly group of Christians. And these all do contrary to the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king. Who believes that there is another king? There is another king, and his name is Jesus. He is the king of a kingdom. His kingdom has a place, it has a rule, and it has a people. And Jesus is coming back with his kingdom. I know it's Wednesday. But that's still true on Wednesday, like it is on Sunday. How many of you guys believe that Jesus is king and that Jesus is coming? That's what I'm talking about. Get excited. Wednesdays ought to make you want heaven more. <laughs> Verse 8. And they troubled the people and the rulers of the city when they heard these things. And when they had taken security of Jason and the others, they let them go. They were secure about the testimonies that were received and they got finances from Jason that made him pay off his bonds and all his fines and then they let him go in verse 10 and the brethren immediately sent away Paul and Silas by night into Berea there's another place here so if you're tracking where they're going they've come from the two A cities and now they're in Thessalonica they move from Thessalonica this is about um, a four days journey all the way around they're going to ultimately land at the end of the chapter in Athens but they've got to make their way through Berea. Berea is a really unique people. It's, it's a really unique 
town. Uh, in, in, in the Thessalonica, you noticed in the beginning, it says that Paul and Silas, they go to the synagogue as was their custom. So if they were going to go out on a mission trip, their mission trip would have a certain vision, and the vision of their mission trip was obviously to see anybody who was lost saved, but specifically, they wanted to go, at least in Thessalonica and Berea, to the synagogue to see if Jews would respond with the gospel, and if not, then others also could respond with the gospel. So this is what's happening again in Berea, verse 10, who coming thither went into the synagogue of the Jews. These were more notable <laughs> than, than those in Thessalonica. A little more upper class. That's Andy's translation. Uh, so uh, maybe it was Madison, I don't know. Um, it's Brick City, you know what I'm saying? And uh, they ain't better than nobody, are they? All right, we're going to put this on social media and send it around the world. Um, <laughs> but they go to Berea, and Berea is bougie, okay? And so <laughs> in that, they received the word with all readiness of mind and searched the scriptures daily whether those things were so. They had a great approach to a truth they had, that they had not heard of before. To where some people, in particular the Jews of Thessalonica, heard it, they already had their mind made up. The defense was set. They were a Jew of Jews, and they were not going to accept Jesus as Messiah. So the wall was raised, and nobody's tearing that wall down. Therefore, when they heard the gospel, it did not convict them unto conversion. Instead, it convicted them unto callousness, and they go out and they attack the messenger. Because, you know, a lot of times that's what happens. And, and it doesn't happen here, but it happens at a lot of other places. I'm going to tell you guys, you ought to pray for preachers. Pray for preachers. Because if preachers continue to preach the Bible, the Bible is going to seemingly get more aggressive in the culture. Because the culture is going one way while the word of God is going another way. And so you ought to pray for the preacher because the preacher is the messenger. It's kind of like this. This is sometimes what happens with the preacher. He gets shot for a message that he's just relaying. It would be like you waiting on the mailman and shooting the mailman because you racked up a bill that JCPenney is sending you had done in you far. You see what I'm saying? And so, so they were, they were angry and they were outlashing, but these guys, these Bereans, they were open and they were receptive and they were willing to hear. And I love that verse 11, and search the scriptures daily, whether those things were so. What does the Bible say? The Bible says a lot about Jesus. Therefore, many of them believed, also of honorable women, which were Greeks, and of men, not a few. Isn't that something like verse 4 there? And of chief women, not a few. I mean, people are getting saved left and right, both men and women of different places. Verse 13, but when the Jews of Thessalonica had knowledge that the word of God was preached of Paul at Berea, they just decided to go hopping from one city to the next. They came thither also and stirred up the people. They couldn't mind their own business. <laughs> they couldn't stay in their own space, Right? They, they, they're, they're swerving into somebody else's lane. And so what they think is, 
Paul and Silas is preaching something contrary to our beliefs. And because Berea was close to the city of Thessalonica, then what was spread in Thessalonica and spread in Berea is all of a sudden going to create this theological harmony that's going to do devastation to the Jewish beliefs. And so they are willing to exactly what Jesus said in the Gospels, compass both land and sea to convert one unto their way. And all they're doing is making them a twice-fold recipient of hell, Jesus says. And so they're going, they're stirring up, stirring the pot, trying to make a mess. What verse am I in? Verse 14. And then immediately the brethren sent away Paul to go as it were to the sea. But Silas and Timotheus, Timothy, abode there still. And they that conducted Paul brought him to Athens. Now, the rest of the chapter is going to focus on Athens. And receiving a commandment unto Silas and Timotheus for to come unto him with all speed, they departed. Now, while Paul waited for them at Athens, his spirit was stirred in him when he saw the city, Athens, wholly given to idolatry. Now, check out what's happening in Athens. Therefore, disputed he in the synagogue with the Jews and with the devout persons and in the market daily with them that met with him. So he's taken it out of the synagogue, now it's into the streets because what Paul would do is obviously it was his custom to go to the synagogue. It's easy to, to fish in a small pond. The synagogue was a small pond to fish in. In most cities that he goes to, he, he, he attacks that, that collection of Jews. But when he goes to Athens, and remember, he's being persecuted by the Jews, and that's kind of fluffing him from one nest to the next. In Athens, he goes there, and he's like, wow. When, when an evangelist is dropped off in a horde of lost people, it makes his mouth water. <laughs> It'd be like some of you guys seeing the hot sign at Krispy Kreme, right? I mean, it's just, ah. Oh. And, 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 and so Paul, he, he, he sees all of this. Something is stirred inside of him. He knows that these folks need to hear the gospel, and he is in the street ready to preach the gospel. Therefore, disputed he in the synagogue with the Jews and with devout persons in the market daily with them that met with him. Verse 18, then certain philosophers of the Epicureans and of the Stoics encountered him. And some said, what will this babbler say? Other some, he seemeth to be a good setter forth of strange gods because he preacheth unto them Jesus and the resurrection. They didn't believe in that kind of superstitious stuff. And they took him and brought him to Areopagus, saying, May we know what this new doctrine whereof thou speakest is. For thou bringest certain strange things to our ears. We would know, therefore, what these things mean. And verse 21 kind of gives us a parenthesized idea of what that means. And he says, For all of the Athenians and strangers which were there spent their time in nothing else but to tell or to hear of something new. Are always looking for the newest and the brightest, and they wanted to discuss it and to see if it's, it's, it's basically the, 
the social media potentates, the YouTube commentators. It's the guys that like to sit on the side, never make any kind of effect in culture, but they want to talk about culture and never do anything. Let me say this. Out of the two people categorized in these last few passages of Scripture, here's Paul, and he's going to preach the gospel. He sees a, a, a culture that needs to be confronted with, with the good news of Jesus because it is their only hope of salvation. And then you've got another group of people who are just wanting to hear something new so they can discuss about it. Uh, there, 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 are certain, there are certain group of guys now, and I don't know, if it, it seems like this is becoming more and more popular. I'm seeing more and more pockets of men who seemingly want to sit around. I, I don't know, maybe I'm the only one that sees this. I'm going to throw this out there and see if y'all have seen this too. group of guys who want to sit around and talk about the newest thing in the news and discuss what's happening in the world while they smoke cigars and sip on whiskey. Yep. <laughs> How many of y'all know what I'm talking about, seen stuff like that, yeah? And, and what's so crazy about that is these guys, I think they feel like they're being men. And it's the cutest thing I've ever seen. <laughs> and they, they think because it's a big cigarette. <laughs> <laughs> or it's a stronger drink that they can sit around and for some reason it gives them an uh, elevated um, uh, intellect to where now they can begin to discuss in some kind of educated format these things. Bunch of sissies. All they're going to do is sit around and, and drink their whiskey and smoke their cigars and talk about how bad the world is. They're not going to get up and do anything about it. So this is your option, and this is what, there's only two options. You can't choose anything else. Either you have to, when you read a passage like that, it's, it's either to do something about it because your heart is broken over the culture that we're in and the direction the culture's in because there is a big gate and a big road and a lot of people are going to destruction and it moves your heart to want to do something or you're just going to be in the category of people who sit around, waste time, and talk about it and do nothing about it. Now, I know where I'm at preaching tonight. I am at embrace church and I am among a, a group of doers I am among a group of warriors I am among a group of people who when they see something needs to be done they rise up to the occasion to do it this is what needs to be done tonight that we confront culture as we live a lifestyle of mission that we filter every aspect of our life through this filter. Who needs to hear the good news of Jesus Christ? Do me a favor real quick. If you would close your eyes. We're not done. I still got a lot of preaching to go. Don't let me fool you. But close your eyes just for a moment. I'm going to say something, and I want the Rolodex of your mind, the photo book of your mind, to register an image. Lostness. Who do you see?
Is it a group of people? Is it a certain person? See, it's easy for me. You can, you can stop with your eyes closed and bow your heads. Yeah, you can. we're done with that illustration. But You can think of the culture around me as lost and be accurate with what you say. But if you have a blurred perspective of the culture that is lost, then the intention of your mission will be weak. When you understand specifically who God has put within the realm of your relationships, in the environments of your life, quite possibly some of you guys, when you closed your eyes and you heard lostness, you probably pictured a loved one, you pictured a neighbor, you pictured a coworker, you pictured somebody that your, your life is, the bubble of your life is touching the bubble of their life and, and, and you see them or maybe you saw a group of people to whom God is calling you to to minister to them specifically. <laughs> what are you going to do about that? What, what, what is your intentions? What is your game plan? How are you going to go after that group of people? To be missional in your lifestyle, understand that it is going to cost you both time and expense. It's going to bring you into a place to where you will be both received and you will be ridiculed and rejected. You will gain both family and you will gain foes. You'll also fulfill God's plan of getting the gospel out into the world so what's going to happen if those to whom you visualized you make it your everyday weekly effort to see them saved <laughs> and when you have the effort and make the effort to see lost people saved when it becomes your ambition to bring the gospel to people who are far away from Jesus, then you'll find yourself spending lunchtime, not just eating lunch, but spending lunch with people who need to be Jesus. And I didn't kick nothing that time. Amen. You'll find yourself using your resources to buy things to give to people to see to it that it gives you opportunity to share the gospel. You're going to have your moments to where you used to spend time in some worthless moments, scrolling Facebook in some hobby that doesn't really amount to nothing and is a time waster, and you'll be focusing that time on methods and means and ways in which you can pray for and reach the people that you've imagined in your mind, that you know that needs to hear the gospel, that you've pictured, that you plan to go and rescue it's kind of like that old hymn that used to be sung, Rescue the Perishing, Care for the Dying. It's us that is supposed to go out there and get them. I'm afraid that modern day Christianity says, hold a meeting, expect them to come, and that'll be enough. 
No doubt our gatherings are framed for those who are living in the culture to be able to come in and hear the gospel. What we do on a weekly basis is like casting a net out there to draw people in to hear, to hear the good news of the gospel. But I'm here to tell you, a song can only do so much, a sermon can only do so much, and you can do 10 times more than a song or sermon from a stage in your daily life. What would it be if all of us left here tonight with one lost person on our heart ready to rescue for the gospel? <laughs> what would it be like if we had the spiritual motivation of Paul and Silas and you say, well, Andy, don't talk about Paul and Silas. They're way up here as Christians, and I'm way down here. As, you, you know, you're right. God used a different kind of grace to save them. There was a different part of Jesus' blood that was more powerful that saved them stronger than it saved you. <laughs> I think some of y'all were looking at me like, was it? Was it? No, it wasn't. <laughs> it was not at all. The same grace that was offered to them or offered to you. The same calling was offered to them as it's offered to you. The same command to go was offered to them as it's offered to you. There is nothing different. The same blood that washed away their sins is the same blood that washed away your sins. They're so different. Yeah, Paul, God used Paul to write 13 books in the New Testament. He was born in that time for that specific purpose and reason. But you too are a plan of God that is born in a specific time for a specific reason because Paul could reach the people that he reached. And guess what? You can reach the people that you're supposed to reach. <laughs> you see? And so what does it look like to be the kind of people who live on mission every single day? There's some truths that we've got to get planted firmly in our hearts and in our minds so that we will be on mission every single day and not give up. So four things that will teach us how to live missionally for Christ. Number one is to know that culture changes, but the gospel doesn't. Culture changes. Think about, I'm going to talk to the old people just for a moment. And, then, and if you got offended when I said that, I'm talking to you. <laughs> you're, probably, you're probably thinking, I ain't old, I ain't listening to him. Okay, so think about through the life of uh, uh, your existence, your, your however many years, how things have changed. How things have changed. How many of you guys remember when there wasn't no internet? We were talking about this a, a few days ago, maybe a couple of weeks ago. Our kids asked us, hey, Dad, how old were you when you got a cell phone? 28. <laughs> you know? Not 10. <laughs> so... It wasn't invented when we were young. Think about how things, one of the things that I love to do is to visit people who are in their 90s. I was listening to a podcast the other day that I listen to very often, and the guy that was leading the podcast said that his grandfather is possibly the, the oldest living man, male in the United States of America, at 115 years old. <laughs> 
I, I like to talk to people that are 90 years and older, and I always ask them this question. What is the biggest change you've ever seen in your life? You know, I get crazy answers. I, I get answers like indoor plumbing, thank God, <laughs> right? <laughs> Air conditioning, another praise report, you know? Um, I, pe people give all these, well, I, I live through the First and Second World War. I've talked to people who have done, I, I, I lived through the Great Depression. Uh, I, I've ate armadillas and possums. Yeah, good eating, <laughs> you bunch of rednecks. <laughs> yeah, that's some good eating. Throw some taters and carrots in there and we own some toast. All right, so. <laughs> Yeah. Some of us are still depressed, I guess. <laughs> but, but, and, and several times I've talked to people in their 90s and they say, the moral change in culture, the world just don't believe sin, sin like it used to believe sin was sin. That wrong is now right and right is now wrong. I've had conversations with people who have told me those kind of things, right? That kind of change. Understand, culture changes and culture is going to continue to change. And if you read the end of the book, culture is going to keep changing and keep changing and probably change in a direction different from your opinions. It's going to do that. And again, what it does for people who have a heart to win people to Jesus, it just makes your mouth salivate. More lost people. Put me in an environment with lost people because I've got light and light is going to shine in darkness. And so culture changes, but the gospel does not change. Jesus is the lamb that was slain before the foundation of the world. Understand that. Jesus was plan A of God. He, before the world was formed, or the Spirit of God, before he moved over the waters of the deep, God knew that Jesus, God's Son, would go to the cross, that he would be crucified for my sins and your sins and Adam and Eve's sins and Noah's sins and Abraham's sins and Daniel and David's sins and Paul the Apostle's sins and your cousin's sins and your mama's sins, that all of these sins would be placed on Jesus on the cross and he would be the sin bearer and he would bear our sin in his body, be buried and be raised from the dead dead he would do that and that gospel is power to save and it saves those who understand they need to be saved did you know that you can't save a drowning person if the drowning person doesn't believe they're drowning <laughs> What helps that person get rescued is they realize, I'm about to die. I am drowning. And so our desired goal is to share the gospel that has power unto salvation, that sin needs to be forgiven to make relationship right with God. And only Jesus can do that through what he's done on the cross. The second thing is missional living means going on purpose. <laughs> you, can't, <clears throat> you can't expect it just to 
just to happen. You have to wake up every day with the intention to go. And we're already a little more than halfway through the greatest missional book in the Bible, which is the book of Acts. Here, Paul and Silas, Barnabas and John Mark, now Timothy, these guys wake up in the morning saying, okay, there's a mission. Well, let me ask this question real quick. Why do we call it mission? That's, that's a good question. On purpose? I don't know. Let, let me tell you why we... The, the term mission is a military term. <laughs> a soldier wakes up in the morning gets his or her commands, they know the objective because they know the enemy, and then they take steps to get out on the mission. It's a mission. There is an objective. You see, it, it has to be the awareness that we, we wake up in the mornings. We wake up in the mornings as soldiers, as warriors, under the command of our chief shepherd who is directing us toward the enemy. And our enemy is, is the devil, not flesh and blood. And we are taking the fight, not just to the streets, not just to the culture around us, but we're bombarding the gates of hell. That's where we're going. Jesus said the gates of hell shall not prevail against the church. That means we're taking the fight to him. We ain't sitting back waiting on him to bring the fight to us. Andy, how come I keep getting blown out of my socks with bad things and spiritual warfare? It's because maybe you're not manning up and going to the war. You're waiting on the war to come to you. And when it gets to you, it shocks, shocks your socks off. It's hard to say. So you've got to wake up every day on purpose, knowing that missions means going. But also number three, a third truth is missional living isn't easy, but the culture around you need it. How many of you guys a while ago when I asked you to close your eyes and think of a person, thought of a person? Yeah. Understand that person needs it. How many of you guys... How many of you guys, when, when the tough get going, you get gone too? Right? <laughs> there's, there's, there's those two kinds of people, right? When the fight comes, they, they leave. They get tired. They give up. They don't want to keep on. It gets too difficult. It gets too weighty. Understand this. The people that you thought of, the devil has blinded their minds. He has them in his grip. He does not want to let them go, and they're not going to get, get out of his grip without a fight. You're going to have to fight. Thessalonica, Paul shows up and says, where's the battle at? Let's go. He goes to the religiosity stronghold of the synagogue. He goes to Berea. Where does he go? Goes to the religiosity stronghold. He goes to Athens. Where does he go? He goes to the philosophical stronghold. <laughs> he says, it ain't easy. But how many of you believe that things that aren't easy oftentimes are worth it? That person you thought of, man, they're worth it. 
They're, they're so worth it. Jesus left the glories of heaven and died on a cross bearing our sin for them. It may not be necessarily easy. It's like what Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 8 through 10. I like how he is talking to a church who is very comfortable in their ways, who is letting sin slide under the radar, and all they're doing is talking about it, and little leaven leaven at the whole lump. But he begins to talk about in 2 Corinthians 4, 8 through 10, man, because of this gospel of Jesus Christ, we have been persecuted, we have been cast down, we have been beaten, we have been ridiculed, we have been left for dead, and we have been destitute. But at the conclusion, he says, but it's okay. It's okay. What are you willing to do without so that somebody will do with? More than just a hamburger at McDonald's, but an opportunity at eternity. <laughs> missional living isn't easy, but, but it's what your culture needs. The last thought and the fourth truth is missional living makes a difference. You say, Andy, I, I've been out there and I've done that and I haven't seen the difference. Sometimes we get the opportunity to see the difference. How many of you guys ever seen somebody lost get saved? Woo-wee. I don't know what you've ever smoked before, but that's the best high I've ever been a part of. Right there. <laughs> when that happens and you're a part of that, I mean, it's cloud 27 and angels are plucking on harps and heaven is opening and Jesus is waving saying, hallelujah, good job. You know, that kind of, woo. But for some reason, when we're not seeing that, the exact opposite happens. How about if we thought of when we share the gospel, when we live missional, when we defeat temptation and sin, when we're leading somebody to Jesus just in the effort itself isn't cloud 27. Just doing the work. I, I cannot tell you how many times I've been out and shared the gospel with somebody and they didn't get saved then, but later I hear they got saved. One time I went to Rankin County Jail, had a Bible somebody was wanting to give to their loved one, and I was the pastor able to get in and do that, and I went and visited this person's loved one, and I was having a bad day. And so I showed up, and, and the gospel, I'm gonna share the gospel with this guy, and I'm gonna tell you, he was beat and bruised. He must have resisted a little bit, I don't know. I ain't get into all that. I just figured there was that many bruises on his spirit if that was that many bruises on his face too. So, so I shared the gospel with this guy and I shared it kind of roughly because the way he looked, he had been in some rough places. So I figured he had to identify with that. So I, I mean, I'm, I'm just sharing the gospel like, but either you, I, I mean, I told him, I said, if you don't repent and believe in Jesus, you are gonna die and go to hell and that's all I got to say to you. <laughs> Shove the Bible under the slot, peace. Hope to see you in heaven, I'm going home. And just, I was in one of those moods that day. I wasn't all right, still ain't all right up here, but, but, but did that. And, and then later I hear that guy surrendered his life to Jesus. He got saved. This past June, we had a team that went to Springfield, Missouri to minister to the homeless population there. 
And man, there was plenty of opportunity to minister to people. And we're out there and we're sharing the gospel. People are hearing. Some people have got their own thoughts of what Jesus is, who Jesus is, what Christianity is, the Bible. We're just having conversations with people left and right. Well, there was a guy named Ken. I don't remember if I talked to Ken or not. Maybe somebody on our team, several here tonight, maybe they remember they talked to Mr. Ken and told Mr. Ken about Jesus and told Mr. Ken how to be saved and shared some gifts with Mr. Ken. And Mr. Ken, in that moment, far as I know, didn't pray to receive Jesus. And about a week and a half ago, I guess it was, a pastor there, Pastor Rich Bitterman, who's the outreach pastor of the church we were coordinating with, sends me a text and says, I want you to know, Ken came to church the Sunday after y'all left. Ken's letting me minister to him. And I was ministering to Kim, Ken, and then all of a sudden, he just disappeared on me until just a few days ago. Ken showed back up. He took y'all's advice. He went to a 30-day rehab. He got out of rehab, and he's clean. And I'm picking him up for church tomorrow morning because he said he trusted in Jesus. I mean, does it make a difference? Absolutely. Galatians chapter 6, verse 7. Be not deceived. God's not more. Whatsoever man sows, that shall he also reap. If he sow to the flesh, of the flesh he'll reap corruption. But if he sow to the spirit, just because you don't see the sprout breaking the ground coming up, yielding fruit, don't be deceived. God is not mocked. You keep on. Don't grow weary in well-doing for in due season you'll reap if you faint. Keep on. Keep on and keep keeping on and don't stop because the culture around us needs it just like the culture of this chapter needed Paul and Silas and Timothy to go to Thessalonica and the Berean area and, and now here Athens. Different people of different cultures still needed to hear the same gospel to get the same opportunity of their sins to be forgiven by the same Jesus. So I've got just a couple of more thoughts to wrap up with. Number one, all of us in some way or another has been affected positively by somebody who was living on mission. If your life has been touched by somebody who told you about Jesus, would you just raise your hand real quick? Keep that hand up. Somebody told me about Jesus. Okay, I've been preaching it for about 40 minutes. So if your hand's not up, go ahead and raise it. <laughs> I know some of us are a little bit slower than others. But you've heard it. If not, it'll be on Spotify and you can hear it again next week, okay? All right, all of us. We've been affected by somebody else being on mission. Let's do this. How many of you are willing to be that somebody for somebody else? If that's you, stand up. Don't raise your hand, stand up. Say, so, you know what, I'm willing to be that guy. I'm willing to be that gal. I'm willing to be the person that's going to go on mission. As you guys get ready to leave tonight, Greg's in the back and Eldon's in the back, and they're going to be at both the door openings there. And they've got a little slip of paper that you can grab. Okay, you don't have to have this piece of paper to be on mission, but it's seven simple ways in which you can be on mission every single day. All right? Take one of these. Be on mission. 
if you would bow your heads with me for just a moment. I want to make sure that we're clear on this. We're on mission not for Embrace Church. We're on mission not uh, in our name or what we can do or our rewards. We're on mission for Jesus Christ and his kingdom and his kingdom alone. And it is worth it. And so if that's you tonight who says, you know what, I'm, a, I'm going on that mission, praise God. What happens if we sent all of these seeds out into the fertile ground of culture? What would happen? Maybe you're here tonight and you've heard the gospel for the first time and it's pricked your heart and you understand that you're lost. And if you died, you would go to hell. You know what? The first thing you need to do is come to the Messiah and then you can go out on mission. Come to Jesus and then you can join the movement. If you'll trust in him, then you can obey him. And that's a simple act of faith by saying, Jesus, forgive my sin. I believe that you died on the cross and rose from the dead to save me. I trust in you. And before you leave here tonight, tell somebody. I, I want to hear it. Let me know. Father, in Jesus' name, we bow in your presence. We trust you. We trust your Holy Spirit. Father, it is our desire to counter the culture that is around us as a missionary in your kingdom. God bless us with words to say, motivation to do. Father, let us wake up tomorrow with that ambition to go. In Jesus' name, amen.